You're listening to a sermon from Providence Baptist Church in Kansas City, Missouri. For more information about our church, please visit church-kc.com or come and visit on a Sunday morning. Sunday School for All Ages starts at 9 a.m. and our worship begins at 1015. Thanks for listening. If you would please join me in your Bibles in 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll begin this morning in verse 13 and work our way down to the end of chapter 1. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 25. If you're a guest here with us this morning, just so you know, I didn't just choose to preach this passage today. Uh, We are walking through uh, the book of 1 Peter, verse by verse and section by section. And so this is where we land today. This is obviously just the second sermon in this series but uh, anyway this is where we are and today peter is going to call us to pursue holiness so if you have a copy of god's word invite you to follow along with me as i read if you don't the words should be up here on the screen peter says therefore preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds... Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and All its glory like the flower of grass, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you and all God's people said. Father, I thank you for your word and it is is eternal. We thank you for that. It remains forever. It never goes forth and returns void. Father, I pray that you would enable me in this moment to rightly divide your word as I stand here behind this sacred desk to preach it. Father, I pray that I would not stand here in any uh, confident in any perceived ability of my own, but that I would trust completely in you and in your ability to, to talk through a, and to speak through a broken and a fallen vessel such as myself. Pray, God, that your people would be strengthened and encouraged today. As they hear your word preached, I pray that we would all leave this place today with a desire to pursue holiness as you have called us to pursue holiness. I pray these things in Jesus' name. 
Amen. A recent survey of Japanese and American parents revealed much about the values that people in various cultures hold dear. The question submitted to these parents was the following. What do you wish most for your children? Now think about that for just a moment for you parents in the audience this morning. What do you wish most for your children? Well, the leading response among Japanese parents was that they wanted their children to be successful, a reflection of the, of the high value that Japanese culture places on marketplace success. What about American parents? Well, the most frequent wish of American parents for their children was happiness, a reflection of our feel-good culture that we live in today. There's nothing inherently wrong with desiring success or desiring happiness for our children. There's nothing inherently wrong with desiring those things for ourselves. But I think as Christians, we would do well to ask ourselves what our Heavenly Father, God, desires for His children. What does God want His children to be? I'm so glad that you asked that question because Peter actually answers that question for us in verses 15 and 16. There, he says, But as He who called you is holy... You also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Our Heavenly Father's greatest desire for His children is neither success nor happiness. I know that's a tough pill for us American Christians to swallow, but instead His greatest desire is that we be like Him, that we be holy. Holy is one of those big theological words, sometimes we throw it around. Maybe we're not so sure exactly what it means. Here's how I understand the word holy. Holy means to be set apart, means to be different. In the Old Testament, Yahweh was holy. He was set apart. He still is holy. But in the Old Testament, Yahweh was holy, set apart from the pagan deities that were worshipped by Israel's pagan neighbors. These pagan deities were lustful. They were greedy. They were vengeful, they were deceptive, they were manipulative, they were liars, they didn't play well with others. That's who these gods were that the pagan people who surrounded Israel worshipped. Well, Yahweh was set apart. He was different from those pagan deities, and He called His children to likewise be holy, to be set apart from the pagan neighbors that surrounded them. Well, Peter takes this Old Testament command, and he applies it now to the New Testament people of God. We as God's children are still called to be holy. This command carries the idea of pursuing a life of separation from evil and a life of separation from sin and a life dedicated to serving God. Let me say that again just in case somebody wants to get that or take it down. This command to be holy carries the idea of pursuing a life of separation from evil and sin, and a life dedicated to serving God. Now, with that said, let me also say this. I want everyone in this room to to know this, all right? If if you learn nothing else today, know this. None of us are perfectly holy. None of us will ever be perfectly holy. Why don't you just turn to your neighbor and say, you're not holy. I know you husbands and wives say that all the time, but none of us will ever be perfectly holy in this life. 
Okay? So long as we live in this body of flesh, so long as we live in this fallen and this broken world, we, we won't achieve holiness uh, in perfection. But be that as it may, all right, even though that is the case, God still calls us to pursue holiness as God's children. This is part of what it means to grow as a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ. I want everyone who was just baptized, I want you to hear what I am about to say. Right? I'm, I'm speaking to everyone, but I, I really want you to hear what I'm about to say. The Christian life does not end with one's decision to follow Jesus Christ. It does not end there. It only begins then and there. One's decision to follow Jesus Christ is the beginning of a journey of growing more and more and more like Jesus Christ. It is the beginning of a journey of pursuing holiness, and that is what Peter calls us to do here in this text. In this text, Peter shows us what I have described as three spheres of the Christian life by which we can and by which we should pursue holiness as disciples and followers of Jesus. Sphere number one is the inward sphere of holiness. You'll see in verse 13, Peter says, therefore, and whenever you see the word therefore, you should stop and ask yourself, well, what is it therefore? And it's there for a very important reason. It's linking back to that which was previously said, and he's connecting it to what he's about to say. In the previous section, Peter reminded us of the great truth of the gospel and everything that God has accomplished for us through his son, Jesus Christ. So therefore, because of the gospel, because of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, pursue holiness. Then he goes on to say, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Preparing your minds for action is literally, in the Greek, literally it says, gird up the loins of your mind. What in the world is that? Well, girding up the loins refers to an ancient Eastern custom of, of someone gathering up their long robe. They, they wore robes. We don't wear robes. They would wear robes like out in public. And so this phrase refers to the ancient custom of gathering up the robe between one's leg and tying it around the waist. They would do this. They would gird up the loins, so to speak, in preparation for some kind of activity, walking fast, running maybe, or, or just maybe working outside. So, Peter tells his audience here to prepare your minds for action. Literally, it's gird up the loins of your mind. The Hebrew equivalent of this phrase was used often in the Old Testament, where God would tell his people to gird up their loins and be prepared for action. One example is Exodus chapter 12, verse 11. There God institutes the Passover meal, and he says to his people, in this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, which is literally in the Hebrew, with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So the Lord was telling his people literally to gird up their loins in preparation for leaving uh, Egypt in preparation for action. They were going to eat the Passover in haste and then they were going to have to make a run for it to get out of Egypt that night and go off into the wilderness. Well, Peter's audience is not leaving Egypt, but Peter does want his audience to leave something behind. He wants them to leave their former life behind and to be separated from a life of sin and consecrated to God. You'll notice that he also adds the phrase, be sober-minded or being sober-minded. This refers to keeping one's mind spiritually alert. Let's think about it this way. Alcohol dulls the mind. Sobriety, typically, will keep the mind alert 
and ready. So what is the point? The point is, Peter wants us to keep our minds spiritually alert, prepared for quick action so that we can fulfill our calling to live holy. Here's something for you to take away this morning. Holiness begins in the mind. Holiness begins in who you are on the inside and the things that you think about. Let's think about it for just a second. Adultery doesn't just happen. Adultery only happens after someone has thought about it and thought about it and thought about it and finally they actually act on it. Anger is the same way. Anger doesn't just happen in someone's life. It begins in the thought world. They think about it, they think about it, they think about it, they dwell on it, and then it just comes rushing out of them. Pride doesn't just happen. It begins in the thought world. They think about it, they think about it, they think about it, and on and on and on and on I can go, right? So holiness begins in the inside of us, the inward parts of us, in the thought world, in our thought life. Now, someone might object and they might say, Wait just a second, Walter. I can't always control the thoughts that run through my head. And if that's you this morning, I would just say, you know what, I kind of agree with you. I'll just be perfectly honest with you. There are times when thoughts come across my brain and I go, oh, wait just a second. That's not a very holy thought. I should not, as a follower of Christ, be thinking that thing. As a pastor, I shouldn't be thinking that thing. So, so sometimes... These thoughts do enter into our, our minds, and you know, what then should we do about it? Well, let me share with you this illustration. And this is an illustration that comes from a man who I greatly respect. It's not my illustration. I just want you to understand that this illustration comes from a pastor of mine when I was in seminary, and he was the pastor of a very large and successful church. He had a wonderful ministry, and this is his illustration, and I'll never forget when he shared it, and it's just stuck with me. So the illustration is this. He and his wife go down to the mall, back when Americans used to go to the mall, and he would go to the mall, he and his wife, and his lovely, beautiful wife, as he would describe her, and they're, they're walking hand in hand down the mall and just enjoying each other's company as a husband and wife should do. But then, through no fault of his own, suddenly and without warning, an image appears in his consciousness, in his mind, of a scantily clad, attractive woman. Again, this is his illustration, not mine. just want to make that very clear. He's walking hand in hand with his wife down the mall. All of a sudden, this image of this scantily clad, attractive woman comes into his brain and downloads into the hard drive of his brain through no fault of his own. She just happened to walk right in front of him. And so his brain captures this image of this woman. And so then he takes a couple of steps, and then this is what he does. He stops what he's doing. In the middle of the, of the mall with his wife right next to him, he stops and he takes his index finger and he puts his index finger right here on the temple of his head. And what he's doing is he's pretending to hit the delete button on the hard drive of his computer. Makes sense, doesn't it? Because he knows that if he lets that image sit there, that he'll dwell on it and then he'll think about it and then only bad things will happen after that. This is a man, church, who is sober-minded. This is a man who has prepared his mind beforehand for action. And so church, when we detect unholy thoughts, and unholy thoughts come in all different shapes and in all different sizes, when we detect unholy thoughts, 
We need to hit the delete button and we need to reorient our thoughts. Now, look at what Peter says at the end of verse 13. He says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So one way to keep your thought life holy is to remember that the Lord is going to return. The Lord is going to return at any moment. You do believe that, don't you, church? It's just one of those things we, we say we believe with our lips, but, but do we really believe it with our actions? I want you to hear the words of Jesus. He actually warned his disciples about this very thing in Luke chapter 12. He says to his disciples, stay dressed for action. You know, what he's, you know what he actually says literally in the Greek there when he says stay dressed for action? Literally, he says, let your loins stay girded. That's what he says. Why? For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Then he goes on to explain. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, we might say that that servant has decided not to pursue holiness, all right? So if that servant does that, then Jesus goes on to say, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. There's a message that's never preached at Joel Osteen's church. Cut him in pieces. Sorry. I'm sorry. And put him with the unfaithful. So church, to keep one's mind ready, to live sober-minded, is to live with the awareness that the Lord could return at any moment. And when the Lord returns, you want to be found faithful. Or at the very least, you want to be found pursuing holiness. So here's something for you to think about and consider. The next time you you find yourself dabbling in something that could be described as unholy, whether it's an unholy thought or whether it's an unholy action, the next time you find yourself dabbling in something that is unholy, ask yourself this question right here. If the Lord Jesus were to, to return at this very moment, Is this how I would want him to find me? Would I want him to find me doing this and just fill in the blank and answer the question? And if the answer to that question is no, right, then stop doing it. Ask yourself that question and your mind will be prepared for action. Peter goes on to say in verse 14, as obedient children, that is, as obedient children whose heavenly Father wants you to be holy, Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. He's speaking to a Gentile audience. I explained that last week. Pretty sure it's a Gentile audience. And he's saying, hey, if you're going to live as obedient children of God, you can no longer be conformed to your former way of life, your pagan way of life. Peter's language here is very, very similar to what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. There, Paul says this, Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, Holy and acceptable, holy, he says, and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the what? The renewal of your mind. Now, I want you to notice, Paul says something there in Romans 12. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. We talked about this last week in Sunday school, in my Sunday school class, because Romans 12 was the text, so some of you have heard this, but here here it is for the benefit of the rest of you. You know, what does it mean to be a, a living sacrifice, or what is the danger in being a living sacrifice? Let me say it this way. It's really, really easy 
to say on Sunday, you know what, I'm going to live as a living sacrifice. But you know what the problem is with living sacrifices is? The problem is living sacrifices can crawl down off the altar. You just think about that for just a second. It's really easy to say, I'm going to be a living sacrifice today. It's really easy to leave this place today and go, Lord, I'm going to live as a living sacrifice all week long. It's really easy to wake up on Monday morning and say, Lord, today I'm going to be a living sacrifice. And then the Lord looks down and he, at noon, at lunchtime, and, and who's on the altar? Nobody. The altar is vacant. It's really, really easy to say, I'm going to live as a living sacrifice. But the best and surest way to do that to be a living sacrifice day in and day out is to prepare the mind for action. We must prepare our minds every day to leave this world and to fix our eyes squarely on the Lord Jesus Christ and to live every moment in light of his return. This is what it means to, to live or to pursue holiness in the inward sphere of holiness. Secondly, we discover the upward sphere of holiness. Inward, now upward. Verse 17, Peter says, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Well, the time of our exile is the time in which we live in this world. We talked about that last week. Remember, this world is not our home. If you're a Christian, this world is not your home. The Bible describes you as a sojourner, an exile, an alien, a pilgrim. You're just passing through this world. This world is not your home. You're just passing through as a sojourner on your way to your heavenly home. But Peter says, while we live in this world with our hope fixed on the world that is to come, we should do so with fear. Now, what kind of fear is this? Is this the kind of fear that maybe we, we live as if, you know, if we step out of line for just a moment and we stop being holy for just a moment, that God is going to zap us? Is he talking about that kind of fear? Dread and terror? Now certainly you could take it that way, especially after that, that parable that we just looked at from Luke chapter 12. But I don't believe that's actually appropriate for God's people. And here's why. We have received grace. We have received mercy. And as I said, we are not perfectly holy and God knows that. But church, and please hear this. We should never flaunt the grace that we have received through Jesus Christ. Grace is not a license to live however we want. And I think you would agree with me that this is one of the biggest problems that we as a society and a culture face. Not just the society in which we live, but sometimes, unfortunately, in some of our churches. The mantra of our day is, God loves me and God wants me to be happy. And happiness is doing whatever it is that I want to do. You know that this is the mantra of the day in which we live. I shouldn't have to stand up here and try to convince you of that. But here's what's wrong with that. What's missing in that formula is the fact that God's grace has been offered to us at an enormous cost to God himself. And this is exactly what Peter says next in verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed, knowing that you were redeemed, from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. I'm sorry, this thing keeps slipping off my ear. You know why? Because that water was hot and I'm sweating. <laughs> Knowing that you were ransomed, redeemed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. You were redeemed from your former way of life, he says. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, 
like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Redemption refers to the price that was paid to, to free someone from slavery. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament people of God were redeemed from slavery in Egypt. They were redeemed by God. And the price for their freedom was the Passover lamb. Remember, we just read about the Passover lamb. And they were to, they were to eat that in haste with their loins girded and prepared for action and preparing to leave Egypt. The price for their freedom was the Passover lamb. The blood of the lamb they took and they applied it to the doorpost of their home by faith so that the plague of death would pass over them, allowing them to escape the land of their slavery and sojourn to the promised land. We Christians have likewise been redeemed. Can someone say amen? We have been purchased from slavery to sin. Sin that leads to eternal death, eternal separation from God. Our redemption price that was paid, it was not paid with silver or gold. It was paid by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb. And when you take the precious blood of Jesus Christ and you apply it by faith to the doorpost of your life, so to speak, guess what? The plague of death also passes over you. You no longer have the plague of eternal death hanging over you, but you have the promise of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ as death, burial, and resurrection. You have been redeemed from the power and penalty of sin through the precious blood of Christ. Here's the thing, church. Here's how all of this connects together. Once the Israelites were freed from Egypt, almost immediately, you know what they began to do? They began longing to go back to Egypt. Oh, I just want a steak. I don't like this heavenly bread that God's feeding us out here in the wilderness. I just want a steak. I, I know we were in slavery back then, but at least we had houses. At least we had roofs over our heads. Yeah, I know, we got the presence of God out here and everything, and I, I know He's leading us to the promised land. I, I know all of that, but you know what? I really don't care about all of that. I just want to go back to Egypt. I just want to have my former way of life. That really happened. Rather than live as obedient sojourners on their way to the promised land, with their loins girded, girded they instead chose to reject God's grace rejecting his call on their lives to pursue holiness. And you know what happened to that entire generation? Those who were adults in that generation? They did not enter the promised land. The New Testament consistently points to that example as a negative example of what not to do. And so where did they go wrong? Uh, here's my answer to that question. They did not have an appropriate fear of God. And when I say fear of God, I mean a reverent fear of God. I mean that they did not appreciate and rightly appropriate God's grace in their lives. And so church, if we are to grow in holiness, as God desires for us to grow, we must have this reverent fear, this upward sphere of holiness. And such reverent fear begins with an appreciation of the price that was paid to redeem us the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That redemption price should mean something to you. This is why we observe the Lord's Supper. When we observe the Lord's Supper and we take that cup, that juice, which represents the Lord's blood, we are rightly appropriating God's grace in our lives. We, it is a reminder to us, or it should be a reminder to us, that God's grace is not cheap. So, when it means something to us, 
then we will rightly appropriate it in our lives by pursuing holiness and refusing to cheapen God's grace. Peter goes on to say in verse 20, He, Jesus, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. You there is y'all. It's plural, as we like to say where I come from. Y'all, specifically you Gentiles that Peter is talking to, so that you could be incorporated into the people of God. That's what he's saying. Who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Listen to what Peter says, beloved. Listen very closely. All that God has done in this world, through Jesus Christ, was done for us. It was done for us, God's people, the church of Jesus Christ. All that God has done in the history of the cosmos, God has done for us, the church of Jesus Christ. And this, beloved, what a great privilege we have. All of that has been done for our sake. And this is why he takes seriously what we do with the new life that he has purchased for us. And so my question to you is simply this. Are you appropriately fearful of God? Are you growing in the upward sphere of holiness? Do you have an appreciation for the price that was paid to redeem you? The third and final sphere is this. The outward sphere of holiness. Verse 22, Peter says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And Peter there is simply quoting at the end from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 and 8. Let me just briefly summarize for you what I think Peter is saying. I don't have time to walk through each one of those verses. Let me just briefly summarize what I believe Peter is trying to communicate in these verses. Here it is. The church is eternal. That's true. Whether that's Peter's point or not, that's true. The church is eternal because the church has been formed by the eternal word of God. That's exactly what he says right there in these verses. So the church is eternal because the church has been formed by the eternal word of God. That has implications for us as God's people. This means that the church, the community itself, please hear me when I say this, is absolutely essential for one's growth in holiness. You cannot become the child that your heavenly Father has called you to be apart from life lived within His community, His redeemed people. You cannot and you will not. You must have a sincere, deep, abiding love for your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. The kind of love that Peter is talking about here is formed as the people of God enter into genuine, authentic relationships with one another and live on mission together, serving one another, serving the church for the glory of God. He is describing the type of bond here that is found among soldiers in combat. I love movies and I love war movies 
and you all know that about me, and one of my favorite war movies of all time actually isn't a movie, it's like a series of movies, but it's Band of Brothers. How many of you have ever seen Band of Brothers? I've also read the book, and it's a true story. In the movie, the movie, the miniseries, I mean, it's, it's pretty doggone real. I mean, everything in there really happened for the most part. The Band of Brothers tells the true story of these 18 and 19-year-old boys, American boys, from all over the United States, from different walks of life, different backgrounds. They have absolutely nothing in common except that they are Americans. And these boys are placed together in this proving ground, this training ground, and they're going to become one of the fiercest fighting units the United States Army has ever produced. And so they go through that training, and then they go through the entire war together. That is, those who survive. And so for like three years or so, they spend their lives together. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, these men, now, they, they do life together. They lived on mission together, serving one another. They depended upon one another for life. They had each other's backs no matter what. They cried together. They laughed together. They celebrated together. They mourned and wept together with one another. And by the time they come out of that war, you know what those, you know what those boys have? Now they've become men. You know what they have now? Once they come out of that war, they have this unbreakable bond that no one could ever break. They are truly a band of brothers. Beloved, the church is to be a band of brothers just like that. And you cannot become or you cannot become a part of this band of brothers if your idea of church is just coming to worship on Sunday morning and that's the end of it. You've got to be a part, a living, breathing part of what's going on in the community. The church is to be a band of brothers. In verse 22, Peter uses the Greek word Philadelphia, which means brotherly love. We are to be a band of brothers, church, living on mission together, serving together, growing in holiness together. So, Peter has given us three spheres of pursuing holiness. The first one, inward. Holiness begins in the mind. You need to remember that, church. Holiness begins right here in the mind. Begins in your thought world, your thought life. So, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Live with the constant thought that Jesus could return at any moment. Inward sphere of holiness. He has told us about the up, upward sphere of holiness. Live with a reverent fear of God. Don't cheapen God's grace. His grace is not a license for you to live however it is that you want to live. Live every day with a deep, a deep appreciation for the price that was paid to redeem you. And then the outward sphere of holiness. Get involved in the life of the community. Serving with one another. Living on mission together. Doing life together. Pursue these three spheres of holiness, church. And you know what you will find? You will find success. And you will find happiness in life. Why? Because this is what your heavenly Father desires for you. Father, thank you so much for the great and wonderful gift of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. May we never take it for granted. 
the great price that was paid to secure our freedom from slavery to sin. To secure for us the promise of eternal life. The assurance that the plague of death would pass over us. I pray that every single one of us in this room would take that truth to heart each and every day so that we would pursue holiness each and every day as you have called us to pursue holiness, to conform our lives not to the image of this world, but to your image, the image of our wonderful and great God who came to us in human flesh in the person of Jesus Christ and gave his life on the cross of Calvary so that we might find it. And I pray all of these things in the precious and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. I invite you to stand, church. We're going to sing one more song. And it is a song of invitation. It's a time to respond. If God has spoken to you this morning in some way, through the music, through the preaching of his word, don't leave this place without responding. You can respond where you are, but you can also respond here by coming to this altar. And you can lay down your life right here, right now, and say, declare, God, I am going to live as a living sacrifice for you each and every day. Maybe you realize, you know what? Maybe I haven't been living as a living sacrifice. Maybe I haven't been pursuing holiness as my heavenly Father calls me to pursue holiness. Today's the day to say no more. Today I'm going to live for you. Today I'm going to pursue holiness. Or maybe you want to begin that journey of faith, of believing in Jesus Christ and receiving the benefits of that redemption price that was paid on your behalf. Whatever it is that's on your heart, I would encourage you to come.